Hello and welcome back to another episode of IntentWise Connect. Uh, I am Srinath Reddy, uh, one of the co-founders and CEO of IntentWise, and I'll be the host today. A little bit on IntentWise, we are an analytics platform and we, we offer primarily two solutions. One is called IntentWise Analytics Cloud. It's a solution that automates all your data needs when it comes to your Amazon and e-com data. And the, the other solution is an ad optimization solution, which is really designed to help you extract the most efficiency from your retail media spend and as quickly as possible. And today, today's topic is uh, profitability for brands. Um, and part of the reason why we're talking about it today is we believe there's a number of reasons that is putting a lot of pressure on profitability. Uh, and uh, I have the pleasure of hosting one of the experts uh, in the space on this topic, Aisha Khan. She is the VP of Insights and Strategy at Momentum Commerce. Aisha, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, I have known Aisha for a bit in the space. Um, she, if you, if you don't already follow her, you should now. <laughs> uh, she's one of the few folks that's continuously putting out very in-depth perspective on all things e-commerce. I learn a lot from it. Um, and then she's one of one of my go-to people in the space. So thank you. Thank you for joining. And Aisha, why don't you uh, just take a moment, introduce yourself and the work you do uh, for the audience. Absolutely. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you again for having me. So I'm Aisha Khan, our VP of Strategy and Insights at Momentum Commerce. We are a very dynamic retail media consultancy. And so we have three arms of our business. One is media and operations, where we help brands activate and execute on Amazon, as well as Walmart and Target. Uh, we also have a strategy consulting team and insights arm, which is my team that helps with brands with um, figuring out how to get to their next level of growth, leveraging insights and data, um, as well as diligence for banks. And then finally, we have a very robust team of engineers and data scientists that build exciting products on top of a very large Amazon data lake. So we have 1.5 trillion rows of data um, that we've pulled on Amazon US that we build products and insights on top of. And so we are um, growing and excited to put out our content out in the universe. And this is uh, this is a part of that. So thanks again for having me. Fantastic. And I think Aisha, I think from your background and experience to see so you, you have worked at a CPG brand, you've worked at an aggregator, now you're with this consultancy. Uh, that's a breadth of experience that I'd love to tap into in today's conversation. And I also noticed that uh, you call yourself the uh, PNL doctor. <laughs> Tell us more <laughs> about that. Yes. Um, it's really just to make my parents proud of me because they always just wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> but in, in all seriousness, I think, um, you know, I think where you where you spend a lot of your early years of your career is always very formidable. And so, you know, I spent my first six years post-MBA at Johnson & Johnson, which calls themselves a manufacturer, but they're actually really a bank. And so the financial diligence in the commerce space that I've kind of grown up with has kind of stuck with me wherever I go. So whether it's at the agency environment, brand, small brand, D2C, um, 3P seller, 
um, big enterprise. It, it's just followed me. I think at the end of the day, money, um, you got to follow the money to be successful and make sure that that's in a healthy space. And so now that that's become, you know, we've been in such an era of growth, 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 and now profitability has become such a focus. It's, um, it's just been a really exciting skill set I've been able to leverage more recently. And so just kind of love helping uh, brands and companies with that. PNL doctor, right? It all, like the way things are now, it, it almost feels like a PNL therapist, maybe a better title, but <laughs> that's a great way to put it. Your, your parents may not approve, but uh, that's, <laughs> um, so, so let, let, let's dive in here, right? So, profitability, of course, has been a common theme. Uh, I can't believe we are almost midway into the year, but consistently heard this at conferences and talking to clients. But uh, why now you know what about the environment you know is forcing this conversation as much as it is at the moment yeah i think it's um i think it's really you know the macro environment has shifted so much um which is no surprise to anyone i think um and I think that's created a space where there's just been a lot of pressure, pressure on boards, pressure on CEOs. There's been a lot of funding. You know, e-commerce is still a relatively nascent space. And so really relied on investor funding and innovation to um, to ignite and drive growth in this in this space. And there's a lot of investor money in this in this industry. And so with that shifting and those investors asking for, you know, deeper questions, having more stringent guidelines into the investments they make, it's really driven a lot of the, the focus around profitability and health and also obviously in a um, recessionary environment. Um, making sure the PL is healthy is also very good for company culture and company growth. And so I think whether you're a brand, an agency, a manufacturer, um, everyone's thinking about it up and down the funnel. And so, um, and so, yeah, love to dive in and talk, talk more in depth about it today and how brands can really um, get a better handle on it. I think about profitability as kind of very specific math. Maybe, maybe it's not, and you can correct me today, but can you break, down what profitability means and in particular like what elements go into that math uh, can you just uh, elaborate on that please a hundred percent so um profitability is defined at different companies sometimes different ways some people think of it as gross margin some at net margin some at ebitda some contribution margin so just really understanding how, you know, what are the metrics that you're aiming for is really successful between leadership, a board, a manager, you know, if you're a manager or an analyst, understanding from your director or VP leadership, like what does success look like? What is, how do we want to even define profitability is really important because I think that's a great question, Srinath. Like it, it really depends. I mean, at the very, the nuts and bolts of it definition, you really want to get down to EBITDA is usually how people define profitability, they really look at EBITDA. And so today, for the sake of the conversation, I'll, I'll use EBITDA as, as the goal, like if, if you're trying to get to that. And then um, what goes into EBITDA is um, going to be different if you're a 1P or 3P seller, obviously. Mm -hmm. But in a nutshell, you know, layman's terms, it's how much actual cash are you bringing into the business after all the costs. And so there's so many costs to, to selling on Amazon, even Walmart, whether you're 1P, whether you're 3P. And so getting a um, getting a handle can be a lot more difficult than it seems. 
um, especially when you start to think about um, operating headcount, labor, and all those small little pieces that can add up to the true cost of operating a business. And so um, that's really what I enjoy looking at a macro view um, and really understanding. So, you know, the gross to net bridge usually is what it's called is you start with your gross sales. That's how much Amazon's telling you that you're making in the platform. And then usually what's a, they call it above the line and below the line, right? So above the line um, to go from your gross to net bridge. And then, and then from your net to your EBITDA is you're going to have things like um, your net, your refunds, like how much is coming in from refunds is going to be your gross to net. So kind of that first layer to get to ultimate profitability. The first phase is you want to go from gross to net. So you start with gross, you have your refunds. You're going to have things like your, if you have shipping credits that you're getting from Amazon, you're going to want it up there. If you're doing any rebates or cost reductions or promotional dollars are above the line. Typically, sometimes in, um, if you're managing a 1P business, they're called trade dollars. So it's how much you're giving, giving the retailers in trade dollars. Um, so that's all typically above the line and that helps you to get from your gross to your net sales, um, which is really important to understand. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there, um, yeah. for a minute. Yeah. One P versus three P, obviously there's a lot there, but in summary, like perhaps some of the key differences between the two in terms of yeah. this cost line. Honestly, ab the above the line differences are really going to be in in the trade dollars. So when you have a one P business, you're you're typically they're they're really wholesale. You're selling wholesale, and so um, you're it, it's just going to look different in how much trade dollars you're really investing. And then on the three P side, it's really your promotional rebates and any price action that you um, implement, that's going to be your definition of trade dollars. And I, so I think that's where sometimes three P sellers start to get hung up is they don't really fully understand the full cost of their above the line, especially those shipping credits, service fees. If you're not like native to the Amazon platform, it can be really hard to understand what actually all these hidden fees are that come up from Amazon either during the year or at the end of the year, or you'll get a bill, you know, you'll, uh, on the one piece side, um, they just won't pay a full of PO in full. And so you have to chase them down. And so that would all be above the line costs. Yeah. And so it's just hard to wrangle because it's not clean on Amazon. And I think that's the hardest part. It almost takes a full FTE to even just measure your PL. and yeah. <laughs> Really um, take multiple FTV if you're, if you're in a large, large business, but just to get to some of these calculations takes pulling data from multiple disparate data sources to figure out, which is why technology is so helpful for that. Makes sense. So let's, let's uh, I guess, complete this uh, picture here, right? So what are the key items below the line? Yeah, so for, then you have production costs. So after you get to net sales, you have your production costs, so your COGS. Yeah. Um, uh, so that would be, that would get you to gross profit. And then from gross profit, that's where you, you get to your contribution margin. And that is, this is where you have your FBA fees, the Amazon commission, your inventory fee, um, your advertising would go in this bucket. So that's all considered below below the line to ultimately get to EBITDA. Um, and so that that's where there's a lot of line items. Um, it, can, it can become really expensive, but that's typically what gets you, gets you to EBITDA. Um, and then sometimes, as I mentioned, um, 
companies may want to consider headcount and operating costs and labor in there as well um, to get to true true net margin. Thinking about if I just put myself in the brand shoe, um, I've got limit, limited time, resources, and if my goal is to increase profitability, like which among these uh, things, line items you mentioned, are you seeing brands get the most leverage from and have control over and should spend you know, more of their time on? Yeah, it's um. this is the question. This is like what all management teams should really be thinking about is where you can move the needle, where you can't, where it's worth investing resources to improve and where it's not. Yeah. Um, the first place in, to go usually is advertising mm-hmm. um, because, you know, any small variation and improvement in things like conversion on your PDPs or yeah. additional traffic and just efficiency of that traffic is going to help with ROI and the efficiency of that advertising, right? So if you can continue to invest $1,000 every month and that $1,000 starts to get you more money every month, that by itself is going to help your profitability. So that that is like a very rudimentary example of like why improving ROAS um, helps with profitability. So advertising is, all, is of course, a, a place to go because, you know, with the right management, um, that can be cleaned up. Um, not, I wouldn't say overnight, but, you know, with a three, six month window, you can have a pretty nice path to getting to improvements, um, especially if that hasn't been managed um, as hands-on. Then you have, um, the rest are a lot harder, right? Because you have your, you can't really control Amazon or Walmart's fees in the commission side. And that that is what it is. And so what I have found has become an unsung hero and becomes so, has so much focus is production, um, your production costs. So really figuring out consolidation of suppliers, uh, uh, negotiating costs, maybe bringing things domestically or finding a supplier with shorter lead times, being more in stock has become a much greater focus, which I think is a, is a good thing. Um, but the rest of the line items, as I mentioned, like if you really think about it, are really hard to control. Refunds is another area where I think brands um, just need to focus a little more on. It can be really easy to say refunds or refunds. There's nothing we can do about it. But I actually would disagree. I think really under Amazon has now released more data around refunds at the category level, um, kind of benchmarks to help you understand where you're at. And so looking at reviews looking at the complaints, looking at the seller comments are really important to say, can I solve this with content? Can I solve this with a better product? Like what is really causing these refunds um, to really understand that? Um, A little bit harder to move the needle on in a short term, but that I've seen explode for some brands year over year as Amazon makes it easier to to refund things. So basically, I think from what I'm hearing you say is that there's a lot of leverage on the two ends of the spectrum production costs, <clears throat> and then advertising. <laughs> and there's a yeah. lot in between. And I'm sure uh, uh, the underlying platforms, whether it's Amazon or Walmart, have a lot to do with whatever is in between. Uh, but that's what I'm hearing you say. As you work with brands, um, what is your sense of their readiness or sophistication on this topic? Um, I think it... Um... I've seen it on all different ends of the spectrum. I think most brands are still having a lot of trouble. Um, I'd say 90% of brands out there who are selling on Amazon, whether it's 1P or 3P, don't have even monthly real-time reporting of their P&L. Forget weekly, 
even considering monthly, I think they're not getting a true view of their P&L until at least 30 days after the previous month ends because of the time it takes to rectify and check and review these reports and consolidate because Amazon doesn't make it easy. Walmart doesn't make it easy. Again, everything's coming from disparate data sources. Um, you have your supply chain team feeding you, hey, here's how much it costs to actually ship the product to FBA warehouses. You have your data points coming in through Seller Central or Vendor Central. So it's really not easy. So I think this is one where I could see, again, technology and data players and um, the aggregation of data being so helpful in getting to more real time um, and just educating finance teams um, on this, because again, this is a, it, these are much more complex P&Ls than typical wholesale businesses. Makes sense. So Q1 earnings are out. <laughs> uh, Amazon a few days back and then Walmart was it yesterday or day before, right? I, I forget. Um, and obviously they are focused on profitability and there's a lot of steps that they are taking, which in turn puts pressure on the brands. Um, what, uh, from your perspective, are some you know, key takeaways from these uh, earnings reports? Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the TLDR is across the board as brands are becoming more profit constrained. So are these, so are these retailers. And so I always like to say, listen, if I'm, uh, if I'm a brand owner and I'm really making a big bet on Amazon or managing an Amazon business or Walmart or Target business and e-com, you really want to understand the retailer e-com PLs. And so that's what I try to do every quarter um, is take a look at that to really understand how any what the implications there may be in my in my world. And there's some pretty large ones, you know, think think about um, the inflation costs of of gas and fuel and how much cost it takes someone like Amazon to ship these things and their two day promise which often now has become a three-day promise or more sometimes. Um, think about those fuel costs, the cost of labor going up, right? In inflationary times, like you need to pay people more to do those things. You need to pay your, your warehouse folks more to do those things. So if there's more costs that are um, uh, on, on their side that are going up yeah. as well. And so with that, they're going to be more strict around price increases. So as a brand meeting, you may say, okay, listen, to offset some of my P&L, one area of focus is the top line. So if you're really getting constrained on refunds and Amazon costs and fees and advertising, one thing brands have been doing over the last six, 12, 18 months is raising price. They're just saying, okay, we'll raise price. And that gets really tough to do for, for two reasons. Is one, there's price elasticity. So there's, um, if you're in 3P, you, you still, you know, you may not be at Amazon's whim if they'll accept your price, but the consumer may not, may, yeah. you know, there may be less demand for your products. Um, and then on the one piece side, Amazon may just not agree to the price or Walmart, especially um, their net margins while they approved this quarter for Walmart are still historically pretty low. Um, they came in at like 3% um, net margin. And so think about that. Like they're making only 3% net margin. That is a very, very low number. And so thinking about from their dynamic as a seller, um, as a retailer, it becomes dangerous. And so you really, this is where brands want to take more control. They want to collect more first party data. They're trying to build their D2C businesses, but you know, th that those are different cost dynamics as well. Um, and P&L hurdles as well. So I think that that's where for Amazon and Walmart, the real implications are there's no relief. Like yeah. it's not like the retail, it's not like all this margin is going to the retailers. It's like they are struggling as well. And yeah. so this is where um I do think that there'll be overall 
inflate, and we've seen it kind of a plateau with inflation, costs coming down, um, which will hopefully add to some of the relief as like fuel costs come down. Hopefully that'll help with Amazon's margins, labor costs kind of plateau. That will be healthy, but that all takes time. Yeah. So I think the next two years are going to be really tough. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, so the macro environments can be challenging. And, you know, uh, to your point, the retailers themselves are making moves. What, uh, in terms of guidance for brands, the do's and don'ts around where they should be investing their time and resources to address this? Like, what, what is your guidance? What are you, what are you telling brands? I think it's really, I think the, the smartest brands and what they're doing is actually um, contrarian to what may what may be um, obvious. One is obviously you want you want to optimize everything you can. You want to get the most that you can out of your performance media. You want to make sure your Amazon advertising is hitting on all cylinders. I think though the most important thing to be doing is strengthening your brand equity and actually investing in your brand so that you can command a price premium and people are willing to convert at your at your prices. Like if you think about your brands, whether you're on the shelf or the digital shelf, the physical shelf or digital shelf, there are generic options that are sitting next to you. There are Chinese direct manufacturers that are sitting next to you for a lower cost that are offering similar maybe function. Um, so you need to really be able to convey to the consumer before they get to the shelf why they should be paying 20%, 50%, 80% more in price to buy your product. What is more, um, you know, what, why is it worth? Is it the emotional connection? Is it the actual maybe way it's manufactured or increased quality? I think that is where smart brands are investing. Um, and it's a little bit of a longer term play. But I think that's the that's the smart move is brands that have the, you know, 18 month horizon to 24 month horizon in mind or making those investments today to pay off tomorrow. What so brand equity, right? Uh, tactically speaking, what form does it take in terms of investments for a brand? Is it uh, creatives? Is it, of course, I think everything is rooted in having a very clear sense of product differentiation, I assume, right? That, that that's essential for everything in the business. But tactically speaking, where do you see uh, some of the better practitioners invest their resources to build brand equity? Yeah, um, TikTok, TikTok, <laughs> and YouTube would be my answer if I had an answer. Like the right. most profitable brands I've seen have taken these bets on TikTok yeah. found virality in pockets that may not be like billions of impressions, but virality, even what, what going viral means is, is different to everybody, right? So it could be 20,000 impressions for some, it could be 200,000, it could be 2 billion. So um, I think TikTok has a lot of potential to help with brand profitability because of the organic nature of the content there. And yeah. so um, brands that are doing well are ones that have their Amazon search or their Walmart search in a good place to capture branded demand. They're on very tight strategic pockets of, of unbranded terms where they really know they can win. They have conversion. They're not overly expensive. Um, and they found they found those keywords and what what works for them, and they're doing TikTok, yeah, um, and or and or YouTube um, from a paid perspective. So I think organic TikTok, some paid TikTok, and also paid YouTube. YouTube is an awesome platform for upper funnel impressions. There's also still Instagram and Facebook, and you know they're uh, obviously like still ways to to win using those platforms. But I would say if um, 
I would I would lean into TikTok first um, if I was a more emerging or mid market brand. It's interesting. I mean, you, you know, TikTok. It's easy to perceive or read about some viral story of some product, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and think you know you could do it too. But I, my sense is that it's a continuous experimentation and a focused discipline, right? And it's like you're really mining for gold. <laughs> And the, those those few wins will be worth it, but it does require a disciplined execution and experimentation all the time. Right? 100%. It's posting once a day, twice a day, every day. Yeah. And expecting one in 30, <laughs> 40 pieces to get some sort of traction, 100%. But usually it's still, it's still worth it. It's just very hard to predict, very hard to model against. <laughs> so I do think the future is just, um, you know, there's a, it's very, I would not want to be a planner right now. Like, right. For all the demand planners right now out there, I feel for you. This is the hardest, um, it's the hardest discipline right now to do. Yeah. Um, for, for brands. Yeah, makes sense. Um, I have heard you talk about lifetime value and customer acquisition costs, obviously two very critical metrics, and even that ratio and what should you be aiming for. Uh, can you elaborate on that and perhaps even talk about how that how that ties into the profitability conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I was so excited when Amazon released Amazon Marketing Cloud mm -hmm. some time ago and um, released that you know, you can calculate LTV through there because that's always been a black box. I've worked in CPG for much of my career and CPG is selling, you know, between $5 to $20 priced items many times, whether it be in beauty and personal care, food. Um, and so you really were relying on, on LTV. So, you know, the reason that they have invested traditionally in things like upper funnel and TV and um, billboards is because they rely on your first acquisition. They, they invest very heavily in the initial acquisition and then hope you keep coming back, right? Um, and so on Amazon, you, it's always been a black box. They don't share that typically. Um, and so now being able to calculate actually how many people are coming back, what's the lifetime value at the keyword level of my investments at the campaign level gets very exciting because you can start to understand what campaigns are hitting people who would have purchased anyway, yeah. versus truly incremental purchasers and new purchasers who are going to keep coming back to the brand. Um, and you can even start to measure cross-channel. So you can put D2C in there and see, okay, did someone get acquired from Amazon and actually kept coming back in D2C? And sometimes we see vice versa. We see people um, becoming first purchase, second purchase in D2C, and then they do repeat on Amazon. It becomes part of their normal weekly or monthly basket building. And so that's also really exciting. But, you know, this comes from a place of being in DTC world. Yeah. Usually investors from a DTC perspective, they want to see an LTV to CAC of at least three, hmm. um, where your lifetime value is more than your cost of customer acquisition three times over. And that's when you start to you start that healthy, you can start building a healthy, sustainable model on that. That's, that's um, when you become a bank. Right. That's when you're really like generating money. You put a dollar in, you get $3 out. So like, that's what they want to, that's what they want to see is um, the, pr the printing of that money. And on Amazon, it's just hard, especially when you're at these costs are adding up. You're not seeing lifetime value. It's a very full funnel. Like think about what I even said, run TikTok and then, and then do Amazon search. 
It's very easy to just look at the Amazon search and say, wow, I'm getting five to one on Amazon search. I don't even need to do TikTok or I don't need to do upper funnel. But then listen, I've done that. As soon as you turn off the upper funnel, your ROI in the bottom of the funnel goes to two. And all of a sudden your cost of acquisition goes up and your lifetime value goes down and your, your business starts to be squeezed. And so I do think attribution modeling, media mix modeling has become very much back in vogue. I think the way people are going about it today is much more nimble um, and, and leaning less on kind of the old traditional, you know, you have to wait like nine, 10 months after the year ends to actually get your, your media mix results. I do think that there's more nimble ways to do that um, today, which is exciting. And that's where folks should be investing in is just, is that um, bigger understanding. AMC really unlocks a lot of that. And so for me, what I'd like to say is like, I would not expect if you're a D2C business and you're calculating LTV to CAC and Amazon using AMC, I would not expect three to one, (laughs) but I would expect something closer to two to one and then start to really focus your campaigns and your strategies to get that to three to one. So it's not like if you start to do those calculations and you're at one, 1. 1.5, you should consider yourself a failure. I think that's actually a decent starting point to then try to get to what's health um, today. So um, Amazon Marketing Cloud, just for the benefit of the audience um, and because how new it is, um, let me just summarize to say that it is a Amazon it is Amazon's uh, data clean room um, where they are sharing data with you at an extremely granular level, all the way down to shopper ID, and you can keep track of every impression, every click, every conversion, and so it really allows advertisers a lot of control around how to measure performance. Uh, certainly get away from the traditional last click attributed performance metrics, uh, start to stitch together the upper top of the funnel and bottom of the funnel uh, tactics and the efficacy of that. So that's Amazon Marketing Cloud and certainly we do quite a bit of work in that regard. But uh, yeah, so I think it's a new world of measurement and certainly Amazon themselves have prioritized measurement and certainly sharing more, more and more data than ever before. Another uh, hot topic, AI, chat GPT, uh, Amazon's bedrock, all of that, right? And clearly Amazon has been putting it to use for some time. And I think you, you I, I, I remember reading one of your posts, you talked about how uh, brands will be negotiating with an AI uh, on the other side. A couple of questions. So. Uh, Talk to me more about what you are seeing. And in general, you know, it's a tough to have a hypothesis around something that transformative, but uh, where do you see this going? I am so far and away an expert in AI, but we have many people at Momentum who are experts in this space. And I'm always just blown away by just their knowledge and capabilities. And um I just think it's the future. Like I absolutely see a world in the future where there will not be buyers at Amazon. There will be no one to talk to um, from a from a vendor perspective. Um, I think Walmart will take more time to get there. Um, they're still relationship driven. There's a human element to their business. Um, Target and others similarly, but Amazon will probably be a very fast mover to get to automation in that space. And you will, it will literally be algo against algo, um, data point against data point. And that's fascinating. And, you know, my, my first job out of school was in finance on wall street where algorithmic trading had was kind of starting off. 
And that's exactly what it was. Like if you think about the world of Wall Street, you used to have to get on a phone to have to buy or sell stocks. Like that was the that that's how that industry started. And obviously that's not the case today. And so I see a future moving, like just watching the finance industry. I absolutely see that that sort of future coming in about. And what AI is, at least the way I would apply it and I'm thinking about it, I'm sure there are folks out there that are doing much more sophisticated things with AI, but it's really rules. It's applying rules and criteria and inserting data around those rules and criteria. And the folks, there'll still be a human element of, hey, what is, you know, what are the criteria? What are the rules to create, you know, our, our to customize these algorithms? But, um, but yeah, I, I absolutely see a future um, <laughs> that is just super automated um, using massive amounts of data. Like, uh, it, it's incredible. I'm learning very, um, very quickly, but it's very eye-opening to even understand the costs around AI. Like that's a whole world that I'm understanding around AWS um, and like that business of Amazon's and how much that that plays a role as well. But I do think AI will play a very large role in the future of retail. Yeah, I think uh, it's also, uh, I, I candidly admit from my perspective, it's so transformative that I just don't think we can articulate all the possible ways it's going to impact us. Um, there are some obvious ways, I think, especially because these are all uh, language models that have been developed. You just see a lot of ideas around content generation, right? So, you know, if I'm a brand with a long, large portfolio, I invest a lot less in my long tail of products because it was expensive. That's just going to get a whole lot cheaper, like having. Yep. So I think you could see that and perhaps that'll impact conversion rates, which then impacts profitability. So I certainly see that connection with profitability. Um, yeah, but even the way we search and look for things, I'm sure will change, right? Like that that's going to be really interesting. I think it, there might be a world in like a year or two years where Amazon just blows up its entire merchandising strategy and it. starts to, you know, by the way people can search for, hey, like um, I want a blue dress that comes up to my knee that's made of chiffon that um, is a baby blue color, right? And, you know, yeah. and like that is such a different way of shopping than today. And so, you know, what that means for SEO, what that means for um, for search could um, could have massive implications. And so I do think um, being prepared for anything <laughs> is kind of where um, I'm thinking about my career and the skill sets I'm building. Makes sense. You talked about data, right? Data and all the data sets you need. T back to the conversation on profitability. Yeah. Uh, what is the state of that? Um, and I, I remember you talking about data loss in the past. So can you can you touch on that? challenges and what should brands really be doing today to combat that? Yeah, um, this is going to sound very self-serving, but I, I do think it's true. Unless you're a massive enterprise and you have the resources to do this, aggregating all the data again to get real-time, even if it's monthly in real-time data, um, for your business is going to be critical. Um, and having partners to do that and leveraging external tech is very helpful because building that and having, oh, I've seen mid-market brands have the hubris to say, we're just going to do it ourselves. And it's fine and they can do it and they'll, they'll spend the money and the time to do it and then forget that it also takes data and resources to actually analyze the data and use the data and build the dashboards and, and 
and uh, turn these insights into action, that's a whole, like, that's a whole capability in and of itself. And so I think picking your swim lane. So it's either invest the dollars in building the data lake and then uh, outsource the insights to action, having an agency do that, or vice versa. If you like to have internal capabilities, managing your media, managing your operations, great, but then outsource the data collection, building your data lake, building your dashboard so that your teams can actually use it. And so that's where, um, that's where like Momentum Commerce comes in. I know IntentWise has an incredible capability around that as well. Um, but Amazon is not a place where you can, you know, go look back, hey, two years, can you tell me about my data and my business and my sales and my conversion and my views? It, it's not going to tell you that. So I think having partners that can um, warehouse that data from you, pull it from all the disparate APIs that Amazon has. Amazon is still nascent in this journey as well. Like as much as they're ahead, their APIs are not perfect. They're building them out. The features are always growing. And it's a full-time business to even be on top of their capabilities. It really is. It's really challenging. And then multiply that by Walmart, by Target, and others if it can become really complex. And so definitely my recommendation is invest in that today. You may not use it all in 2023, but it is what will create a 2024 and 2025 um, competitive edge for you if you're able to warehouse that data today. So you can build price elasticity models on top of it. You can understand where your incremental investments are coming from and do MMM on your data. Otherwise, you'll have, as you mentioned, data loss. Uh, again, on the topic of profitability, Asha, anything that we did not talk about and should have? <laughs> um, I think it's, um, I think the biggest thing is taking one, understand where you're at and measuring it and, and allowing your um, finance teams and your operating teams to collaborate on it would be the last thing I would take away from it is um, yeah. it being a joint exercise is like the most important thing, like expecting your operating team to measure the P&L and then action against the P&L is really, and then operate a business on, at the same time is really challenging. I've seen that happen before and it's, it's very drowning. And so having a finance resources to actually allocate it to do that measurement is actually what's going to help your operating team. And so I do think they're, un again, unsung heroes, these finance teams, but they can, that is insights. Just looking at your P&L as an insight and investing in that as well, um, even if it's not the most sexy thing, like looking at advertising data or looking at inventory data, but looking at finance data is, um, is just as powerful. Great point, actually. And I'm assuming that the larger the organization gets, the bigger this problem is in terms of disparate teams that are not talking to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. What's uh, what's new in your world, Aisha, from a momentum commerce perspective? We have so many exciting, um, so many exciting launches on the horizon. I think for us, the biggest one is um, in June, we're going to market with our first SaaS product, which we're so excited about. It's, it will be called um, Velocity by Momentum Commerce, and um, we're very excited about it. And again, it uh, it will leverage our very massive and powerful data lake to provide insights to um, banks, aggregators, brands on the Amazon landscape um, and how to operate their business to improve growth and profitability. So we're very excited about that. Awesome. Well, Aisha, you know, again, thank you so much for joining. I think this has been super informative um, and I wish you well for the rest of the year. And if you are listening to this episode, feel free to follow her, uh, reach out to her directly. 
again, uh, thanks so much, Aisha. No, thank you so much, Rinath. I think you put out incredible content, timely content. So if you guys haven't already out there, please do follow Srinath, follow IntentWise. They have an amazing newsletter as well. Um, and you guys are a huge source of, of knowledge for me. So thank you for that. Awesome. Take care. Thank you for listening. Check out the past episodes of IntentWise Connect at intentwise.com slash podcast.